Well, good morning. I'm Jack Sauls. I'm an elder here at OCC, and I'll be sharing in the Get Used to Different message series this morning. One thing I can tell you right now, that there's nothing more different that's going to happen to you the rest of the day than me being here instead of Craig. Um, so we can move on. I've challenged John with lots of transitions here. We take many journeys in our lives. Uh, part of our journey here at OCC is learning from Jesus and joining his mission to make disciples. As Craig has noted in the sermons that have come before, the Bible teaches that discipling is not a task. It's something we do as we are going. A lifestyle. Jesus' example was one of making more and better disciples. One of the challenges we face is we're not Jesus. But we're called to be progressively more like him, growing in spiritual maturity. This is the definition of better disciples, and it applies to each one of us. Today, I'll be talking about journeys that we take. Hey, hey Jack, hang on just a second. Um, my family and I were trying to book flights uh, to Timbuktu here in the next couple of weeks, and I was, uh, was wondering if you could help me out a little bit this morning. Uh, Timbuktu? Next week? Why? You know, it sounds like an interesting place. I don't know if you guys have seen photos, if you've watched videos online. I've certainly never been there. I don't know if you have, but uh, I've got a couple of days off, and I thought I'd take the family. What do you think? Oh, well, you're prepared, right? I don't know. You know, we, we went to Oklahoma several months ago, so I think we might be prepared. Uh, okay, well, let's do a quick check anyway. You'll need a U.S. passport, of course, and a visa to enter Mali. Uh, that's where Timbuktu is, by the way. You need to check the State Department's travel advisory. You'll see Mali isn't considered safe, so good preparation is essential. You should probably sign up for STEP, too. Get the CDC's recommendations, visit your doctor for advice and vaccinations, and you will want a travel health insurance supplement. Now, about the travel itself, the good news, it's only three flights and 19 hours to get to Bamako, Mali's capital. The bad news, it's another 19 hours to get to Timbuktu, including a 17-hour hard 4x4 drive through the desert. And finally, considering these issues and security, culture, language, and currency, I suggest you find a trusted local contact and a cell phone to communicate with him and with home. But other than that, yeah, you're good to go. But you're going to need more than a few days. So I will be talking about different this morning, but let's start with something familiar. And it's a landscape we all travel in. The life journey with us as participants begins when we're born. There are many ways to look at our lives, but in the whole, these are journeys of maturing, physically, intellectually, emotionally, socially. Early on, our parents are pivotal, supporting us in what is their vision of the future us as mature, self-sufficient, capable, well-rounded adults. It is the process where the barely visible future me in us as infants is slowly but surely realized. 
But we have another landscape that we travel through. It's one of spiritual development. Last week, Craig introduced us to the lost, spiritually dead. Paul describes the lost as having a mind governed by the flesh, hostile to God, not being able to submit. They are on one side of a chasm they cannot cross. The chasm that separates them from hope and a life of spiritual growth, a life worth living, one that would bring glory to God and inexpressible joy to them. Jesus had a challenge for the lost. He said, come and see. It's an invitation to the curious to learn something about him. And he showed them a way to cross that chasm. Receive God's grace through faith in him. Now, believers who have accepted Jesus as their Savior are new creations who stand at the threshold of a new life. They're spiritual infants, and Jesus invites them with a challenge to commit, to follow him, to repent, to change their direction. The starting point is the new that's described in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's a rather extreme state of being different, but one we will get used to as we mature. We are new creations. This stage is the focus of my message this morning. So first, let's take a peek at the entire landscape in which we'll travel. Craig shared all of the challenges that Jesus gave to those he first invited to come to him. As the new believers begin to grow into their new lives, he invites them, Jesus invites them to come with him. He says, follow me. When they do, he will begin to equip them for the mission of fishing for people. Finally, he will send them to carry out their roles and the mission to make disciples. Spiritual development is a process of growing up where we move towards the goal expressed in Ephesians 4.13. Nothing more than the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To do this, we'll want to see progress in ourselves as maturing disciples. Now, as with Craig's trip, you can't take a journey if you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going. But if you do know those two things, then you can make plans to get there. So we would like to be maturing in ways that we recognize and that others can see in us The measure of our progress is our maturity level. How do we get to where we need to be? Well, it's one step at a time. With Jesus as our example, and being like him is our goal. The background image here illustrates Jesus as seen in us. It's a pretty dim picture, I think, when he first calls us to follow him. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ is a long way away, but we can move on according to Jesus' challenges. Believers who grow into workers, as Jesus says, I will teach you to fish for people, then into disciple-making disciples when he sends us to bear fruit. This morning, I'm going to be paying attention to the state of the new believer. This is relevant whether we are there or when we are walking beside teaching or mentoring them. First question would be then, what do the newest members of God's family need. In chapter 2 of his first letter to the exiles in Asia, Peter put it this way, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. 
cry out for this nourishment. Our first baby steps in spiritual maturity are in crying out for what we need. If we are teachers, mentors, shepherds, actively engaged in equipping the body, we can follow Paul's example as he explained to the church at Corinth. He wrote them, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. You may think of when you hear about spiritual milk of what Paul wrote in Hebrews. And this is a different perspective. There, he chastised people for remaining on milk when they should have been nourished by solid food or meat. But that's not the case here. What is the milk that the new believers need? Here's some guidance from people who have actively engaged in equipping disciples in spiritual development with whom I have met and discussed this. Dan Spader, who wrote the book Four Chair Discipling, says that new believers need to learn who they belong to. They need to understand their new identity. The New Testament Churches of Christ uh, mission in Mbali, this is a mission we have supported since 2006, has a program. And they look at it from the standpoint of the providers. They need teachers, mentors, examples to grasp what their new life is about. And Craig, in a message some time ago now, said the new believers need to know that their changed life is based on accepting Jesus as Lord. They've accepted Jesus as Savior to cross the chasm. Now, as we start the journey, we recognize Jesus as Lord, our guide and our example. The new in 2 Corinthians 5.17 encompasses our identity, who we are, and our life, what we do. These are big categories. So let's look at some specific examples that characterize our new identity and our new life. Well, first of all, Peter tells us about the source of our new identity in 1 Peter 2.10. It says, once you had no identity, he writes to these people who are aliens in this foreign land. He says, now you are God's people. So what does this mean? Well, there are elements of our identity that tell us how God sees us. We are justified. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge which condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Because of Jesus, he sees us as pure through the lens of Christ's shed blood, not because of anything we have done. This is a brand new identity. And we're sanctified. Romans 15, 16 uh, says that, Paul says that Jesus gave him the duty of proclaiming the gospel so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified or set apart by the Holy Spirit. So I'll follow up on that for just a second. And this is a transitional thing as we we will move into identity. The Holy Spirit, we are sanctified or set apart. And in that, it becomes part of our identity. What we'll see is that there's also a process of sanctification that becomes part of our life. But these are the two elements in the way that Jesus sees us. We are his disciples. We're learning from him to live like him. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him, in other words, whoever says Jesus is Lord, must live as Jesus did. What else does that mean? 
Our identity as disciples has levels that change as we mature. We start as infants who need spiritual milk, but we are expected to grow. And so this measure of this part of our identity will change. Recall what Peter said to spiritual infants. You should cry out for spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Our salvation is our justification. Our set apart is to be set out on the new journey. The growing up is the sanctified life as we change, as we mature and go forward. When we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we put on our new identity. Oh, I did. Yep, I'm good. When we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we are at the threshold of a new life, learning from him to live like him. The new need to understand their new identity because it's the foundation for our lives. Realizing how God and Jesus see us is a source of strength and encouragement as we're going. What we do in our life will reflect our identity. If the foundation is shaky, then the lives built on it will be as well. So, our identity is who we are. Our life is what we do. Paul offered this guiding principle in Ephesians 4.1. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Our new lives are defined by a calling. What is it that is new that allows us to be properly equipped for this calling? This morning is about introducing several elements. So you can look at this as an orientation. And when I was in college, I had freshman orientation, and they they told me all about four years of college and all about the classes I was going to take, and I learned nothing about what was in those, but at least I knew what was coming. So this is an orientation where we can see what these elements are as preparation for engaging our life with them. What they mean for us will change as we grow towards the Ephesians 4.13 level of maturity in Jesus. But today we'll look at the starting point for growing into Jesus' fourth challenge, which is to go and bear fruit. First, we have God's word as our guide, and we know that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the source of information about our identity and a practical guide for living our lives. That is the process of being sanctified, and the Holy Spirit is, um, is the guide for that. New Christians, we need to learn, and so we need to be taught and shown that our lives are defined by scriptural truths that others can see in our actions. This is what Peter called for in 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The first step in witnessing is to live a way that attracts other people to wonder why. The Holy Spirit is a helper who, among other things, reveals to us the truth of the Word. The Word and the, truth, the, Word and the Spirit are inexorably linked in our lives. We need to be in the Word in the way that Jesus describes in John 8, 31 and 32. He says, If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is the Holy Spirit working in us with the material that we take in from reading the Scripture. The Spirit reveals the truth in what we read, 
And he sets us free in the sense that we can be confident in decisions we make in accordance with that truth. So for example, now in the list I have here, you see some scripture. I'll read probably some of these, not all of them, and some of them have asterisks by them. Well, that's to note that the scripture that I put here on this list at this level are an illustration of how Jesus taught something about this element or how he showed it in his life. So, for example, Jesus' teaching about God's word. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus used the word to teach even about himself. So our outlook stems from this calling that we have received, and that is to live a life that's powered by faith and hope. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. No, the faith is not just, I just believe, the faith has a result, the salvation of our souls, and that is our great hope. In an attitude of worship and prayer. Well, this is taught by Jesus as we learn in Luke 4.8. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in 18.1, Luke addresses the issue of prayer. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And as Craig has already uh, shared some in the first message in this series, the motive behind everything we do should be love. We have new relationships in our lives because we are new creations along with the people that we have now joined in family. We have relationships with God, Jesus, and other believers. And these are all addressed in the book of John in chapters 13, 14, and 15. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a very much of an intertwined relationship, uh, a triad here, God and Jesus and us. God and Jesus are related as Father and Son. Jesus is our Lord, God, uh, our Lord and Savior. We, we know God because of Jesus' relation with God and his relationship with us. It's a, it's a big package in that one verse. When it comes to Jesus and us, John 15, 5 said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is Lord. That means he is the source of what we have to live lives in his service. In John 15, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A life of love for our neighbors starts with practicing. It starts with us loving each other in the family. And to this last point, in Peter's first letter to the exiles in Asia, which I referred to already, it's a letter that seems particularly to me aimed at new believers. He calls on them to love each other four times. He clearly learned something from Jesus, Peter did. All of these relationships are intertwined and instrumental in our growth towards a likeness of Jesus. 
And again, another item that Craig has already addressed in the uh, messages that have come before this, uh, the mission element of our new lives is to make more and better disciples. So as disciples, we are... We can move on. Yeah. We are maturing disciples. We're learning from Jesus to live like Jesus. As spiritual infants, the likeness of him in us is quite dim. But we do mature. It's a journey where progress is judged by him being seen in us with increasing clarity. How do we make this very long journey from 2 Corinthians 5.17 Christians? to Ephesians 4.13, Christians, one step at a time. Along the way, we need to know where we are now and where we're headed next so that we can prepare appropriately for Jesus' increasingly challenging challenges. So how do we keep track of where we are so that we know how much farther we have to go? This slide has three areas as examples. There's, there's, there's just no end to, I think, the, the breadth and the depth of this question about knowing where we are. But here's a way to get us started thinking about it. There are three areas of our life that we might use to assess spiritual maturity on a path with just four steps. So the stages of our maturity are being a believer, a worker, and a disciple maker. And these are associated with Jesus' challenges. And of course the final stage, our goal, is defined by Jesus himself. There are many aspects of our lives that we might consider in assessing our maturity. So for the purpose of, purposes of the day, we'll look at three possibilities. Our focus of attention, our interactions with others, and our focus for learning. So let's see how stages of maturity might look as we go from immaturity towards our goal, the likeness of Christ. The newest believers are characterized as infants who Jesus calls to follow him. It's natural that their focus of attention is me. Recall Peter. He said we should expect spiritual infants to need milk. And because of their focus, there is a, a, a selfishness, a necessary but a selfishness in their actions. But for them, again, it's, it's expected. Peter said they are to cry out for the milk they need. And others, as Paul did, need to be there to provide it. New believers need to learn about a lot of things. They need to learn about the foundational elements of our identity and our lives. Facts more than introspective depth. You have to know what it is you're diving into. So more mature believers, we'll call them workers, are being taught to fish for people. They begin to put some focus on we. So we look at myself, are we becoming engaged with ministry groups and family members and individuals and and, and also in our, our community as we begin to learn how to witness and to witness? Uh, service in Jesus' mission is being demonstrated and opportunities for practice are provided Uh, They learn that they need to make choices. What do you want to do? And especially in that me sense. So I have an example. I'm going to talk about interruptibility. I don't know that I'm very interruptible. You know, it's, it's, you know, I, and so one example is I 
have a four-hour bike ride planned tomorrow morning, and Craig calls and says, we need something done here. You know, I may, I may come, you know, but I may grumble about it too. You know. So I see interruptibility is this idea of making a transition from one step in the world and then being called into something that is more along God's plan for your life. So we need to be interruptible, and that's a good thing. But interruptible is a stage of practicing for being at the next level, which I'll talk about. And as we're learning, you know, the idea here is that we start to learn from others. Jesus says, I am going to teach you. You know, you know about me. Other people help you understand about me in the Bible. Now I am going to teach you. So we have this learning from aspect in our lives. Further maturation, where the call is for us to be disciple makers, brings us to a life with sharper focus on others. Our interactions with them are motivated by love with an increasing desire to seek out opportunities to bring them into their new identities and lives and to see them grow up more like Christ. I don't know if opportunistic is the right word, but it's the idea that now instead of seeing a call from the church as an interruption, I say, oh great, I've been waiting for a chance. So it's not about the word. Yeah, I still would interrupt my other, other activities. But I have a different attitude, a more mature attitude. It's more Christ-like. So we see things because, of, this is because we see things more in the light of the joy that's found in loving people according to God's will. We relish the opportunities to serve. We're less affected by what would divert our attention away from them. Disciples here learn with each other, and they seek to improve as they seek to improve and expand on Jesus' mission. Reaching the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is the challenge issued by Paul. Jesus' focus was not on himself, and it wasn't on some or a lot or many others. It was on everyone for all time. 1 John 2.2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In this interaction with us, he is totally focused on fulfilling God's will. John 4.34 notes that Jesus has said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. His choices were always right for all people all the time. Every call to him was a call towards him fulfilling God's will. Something he was, I just used the word, all in for. I mean, how can you say totally all in committed? He showed this in the wilderness when Satan tempted him. He was tempted, but in each temptation he showed no hesitation, pointing out each time that it was God's will he was committed to, and he would not be distracted by any human desires. New believers face many challenges. They need relationships with each other and with more mature Christians to begin growing into better disciples. Learning about their new identity is foundational. New lives built on this foundation require learning about the new life elements from Jesus' teaching and by practicing them more as they go. So, one of the other things that's different between Craig and I, there's only a few, you know, but one of the other ones is Craig has provided a memory verse at the bottom of the notes page. 
you'll see that what I provided is a invitation to go deeper and then there is a bulletin insert with a whole lesson for you to look at which brings you to 1 Peter and a chance to look over this list and to see how this might be shown in various scripture in this, in this practice. Uh, if you didn't get a bulletin, then there are plenty to be had in the foyer. So no matter where you are in maturity, uh, if, you're, if you're here because someone has said, come and see, and you want to know more about Christ, and you think maybe crossing that chasm, becoming baptized, taking Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, there are several of us here, Craig, any of the elders, in fact, just about anybody, if you want to be, uh, have someone to talk to, uh, let us know.